The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, this is our first in a series I'm calling The Honest Election Chronicles, where we are going state by state looking at how voting irregularities occur in our elections. We want every legal vote to count, but only the legal ones, not the votes of the people who voted twice, once by absentee ballot, once in person, not the people who moved out of state and voted anyway, not the voting machines who were tasked with matching signatures, yet they lowered the standard so they really don't need to match perfectly. Many of us are trying to separate what evidence is real and what is simply unfounded. Each state has faced unique challenges in the 2020 election, particularly with the extraordinary increase in absentee ballots due to the virus. In Georgia, the race between President Trump and Vice President Biden was very close. Even after a six-day hand recount, they only differed by 12,284 votes in favor of Biden, an extraordinarily close margin. And the race in Georgia isn't over. We move on to two Senate runoff elections in January that will determine the Democrat or Republican control of the U.S. Senate. My guests today understand Georgia politics inside and out. I'm pleased to welcome my guests, David Schaefer, chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, and Lindsey Rutter, who is a candidate for state representative for Georgia House District 54. 
I'm really pleased to welcome my guest and good friend, David Schaefer, the chairman of the Georgia Republican Party. He has done an amazing job, and he's in the middle of one of the most amazing complexities I've ever seen in a long time in politics. Let's start at the basics there. For people who may not be fully up with what's going on, tell us what's actually happening in Georgia. Well, we're trying to get to a point where we can certify the results of the presidential race. The election was a week and a half ago. The Secretary of State's not certified the returns yet because he's in the middle of conducting an audit where they will hand count all of the paper ballots and compare that count against the machine count to determine whether or not the machines accurately counted the votes. The audit was supposed to be finished last night at midnight, but the large urban counties had not yet completed their work, and the secretary gave them an extension until today at noon. And so we expect to have the results of the audit either later this afternoon or tomorrow morning, and then the secretary should likely certify the returns. Some people think it's very deep problems. Other people just think that it's kind of noise. What's your sense from what you see looking around the state? There are significant irregularities with the election and significant weaknesses that have been revealed in our progress. I told you exactly where we're at. I haven't told you every complaint that we have had with the process. The irregularities became apparent to me on election night when there was a significant number of ballots counted in secret. The Georgia law requires that vote counting be done in the open, that any member of the public can attend, and also allows the parties to credential observers or monitors to watch that process. At State Farm Arena, the Fulton County elections officials announced that they would stop counting at 10.30 and resume at 8.30 the next morning. They packed up all of their belongings. Our observers left, the news media left, and once they were gone, they began counting again and counted until one in the morning outside the observation of anyone. Now, people will say to me, well, can you prove that any fraud took place during that you know, three-hour period of time? And the answer is, of course not, because it was done in secret. We weren't allowed to observe it. And you know, we encountered those problems in other counties as well. There's a mechanism under Georgia law called the vote review panel. Using an absentee ballot when you can't discern what the intent of the voter was, these absentee ballots are hand completed and then scanned through machines. If the machine is unable to read it, then three people, including one Democrat and one Republican, are supposed to review each ballot and determine how it should be counted. We've got sworn affidavits from eight different counties where these vote review panels would meet without notice or participation from the Republican members. We have filed numerous complaints with the Secretary of State. He's launched at least uh, two investigations that we're aware of, but none of that inspires much confidence in the electoral process. Well, and you had a sort of surprise to me, you had counties like Walton and Fayette and Floyd finding new votes. That's happened during the audit process. During the hand count, we had Floyd County found 2,700 votes that were not scanned and counted on election day. No explanation as to what happened. 2,500 votes in Fayette County discovered. No real explanation as to what happened in Walton County, too, and in Douglas County as well. And those aren't even the big urban counties where we historically have all of the problems. Those counties have not yet reported. I will tell you, in DeKalb County, Georgia, on Sunday, one of our observers of the hand count, one of our concerns is that in this audit process, we've been limited to one 
monitor for every 10 counting tables, which does not give us a meaningful opportunity to watch what is happening. But one of our monitors in DeKalb County stumbled upon a batch of votes that was labeled 10,707 for Joe Biden and 13 for Donald Trump, which is a margin of victory that rivals third world dictators in sham elections. So he questioned it and they determined that the box only contained about a thousand ballots. They recounted it, and the actual margin was only 1,081 votes for Joe Biden and 13 votes for Donald Trump. And so it was an over 9,000 vote discrepancy that, had we not caught it, would have added 9,000 votes to Joe Biden's margin when the audit was completed. But it had been signed off by two official counters from DeKalb County and would not have been discovered but for this Republican observer happening upon him. Again, something that doesn't inspire any confidence in the electoral process. Once you go through certification, can you then demand an actual recount? The Secretary of State's described this as a recount, and other politicians and media figures have described what we're going through right now as a recount, but it's really not a recount. It's a hand count as part of an audit of the machines. Once the returns are certified, then any candidate whose margin is close enough can request a recount. You know, we anticipate the president will request a recount or if if Biden is down after the returns are certified that he would request one. There may be other recounts requested in the U.S. Senate race, which was very close, and the Georgia Public Service Commission race was very close. Those have to be requested within two days of certification, and then they would begin almost immediately. And instead of hand counting the paper ballots, the paper ballots would be rescanned through the machines, and then that recount would be certified. So what about challenging the ballots? If a ballot is kicked out by the machine, there is a voter review panel process that's in place where each of the ballots is examined. Another issue that's arisen is the number of absentee ballots and the lack of verification on the front end. And there's actually, as we speak, a hearing in federal court happening right now where the signature verification process for those absentee ballots is being challenged and how that hearing goes will have a great impact on how things play out here in Georgia. Historically, absentee ballots, which are ballots that are sent in by mail, you make up about five to six percent of the ballots cast. And there's not a photo identification required by anyone casting an absentee ballot. Instead, the signatures and other information from the application is supposed to be verified. And if it passes, an actual ballot is mailed out. And if it's not verified, then it's rejected. In this election, because of the pandemic, there were almost seven times as many absentee ballots requested and issued. And concerns have been raised whether or not that verification process worked under such a great volume. On September 30th, the Georgia Republican Party asked for an opportunity to watch the verification process take place. And we were not allowed to do so. What was the Secretary of State's argument for not letting you do it? They said that the original voter registration card contained some information that was not public information. And they were worried that our observers would peer over the shoulders of the employees doing the verification and look at this confidential information. And we had a conference call with the senior staff of the Secretary of State's office on September 30th, walked through how we could do that, addressing that concern. They agreed to do it. They agreed to issue a 
bulletin to the counties saying that we were allowed to do this, but the bulletin was never sent. They reversed themselves some time after that. So you have a Republican Secretary of State blocking the Republican Party. It is very frustrating. I personally like Brad Raffensperger, and I don't believe that he is a witting participate in wrongdoing, but he has become a defender of the system when he's supposed to be the overseer of the system. I mean, the elections are all conducted by county election superintendents. Most of the county election superintendents do a pretty good job. There's really only about six or seven large counties where we have all of the problems every two years. And I'd like to see Raffensperger go after those counties aggressively trying to correct these problems so they don't reoccur as opposed to positioning himself as the apologist for all of the sloppiness. This week on Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell, I talked to a man who's had a profound influence on my life, and I'm talking about my pastor from back home, Dr. Bill Winston, who is the founder and senior pastor of Living Word Christian Center, a non-denominational Christian church with more than 20,000 members located near Chicago. He is also an author, an entrepreneur, educator, and a veteran who has the most amazing and inspiring stories that you will ever hear. Listen to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell every Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe 
Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to go back just for one second because I saw the numbers about the 10,000 vote discrepancy, but somebody said that it actually been reconciled. So it didn't actually affect Biden's lead. So had that error not been caught, Biden's lead would have increased by 9,000 votes. Ah, I see. I mean, it's astonishing. They claim that this is proof that the system works. Well, it's proof of the opposite. The official counters, two of them signed off on the wrong count. And it was only discovered by the Republican observer who had to engage in an argument before they agreed several hours later to recount the batch and produce the correct number. Had that not been corrected, then Biden's numbers would have been boosted by 9,000, would have canceled out all of the legitimate gains made by President Trump and Floyd and Fayette and Walton County. The way that the news media has spun these things is astonishing and discouraging. To me, there's this absolute lack of curiosity into how our elections are being conducted because their overriding concern seems to be that President Trump is defeated. And it really doesn't matter what sloppiness or irregularity or wrongdoing happened. They don't want that discussed until they're absolutely certain that President Trump is gone. In terms of, for example, the counties that came in that improved President Trump's position, did they also improve David Perdue's position? Probably. I mean, logically, they would. They're only hand counting ballots in the presidential race for the purposes of the audit. Obviously, someone who voted for President Trump almost certainly voted for David Perdue. So his position is likely better. Wasn't he close to winning without a runoff? Yes, but it was approximately the same margin as the president's margin. He probably will request a recount and then the ballots in his race will be rescanned and probably a corrected return certified. So you're talking about the media. I noticed that Twitter just put a disputed label on one of your tweets. How much censorship have you run into for other people in the Georgia campaign? I think this is the first time one of my tweets has been flagged as disputed. And what's ironic is that the Secretary of State confirmed the accuracy of the tweet, and that was reported in the news media, and Twitter labeled it as disputed information anyway. That's a whole separate set of problems with how information is communicated in America. And you have historically always had the problem of the Atlanta newspaper being pretty consistently anti-Republican. Yeah, absolutely left-leaning. It's not as powerful of an institution as when you were active in Georgia politics, but the problems that it caused back then are now being caused by other media that has replaced it. In my own experience, in 1992, I was in a tough election campaign. They attacked me for 19 out of 23 days. (laughs) I was beginning to think they didn't like me. 
I cheerfully campaigned anyway. I worry a lot that if we can't fix some of this, that we can focus on the campaign for the runoff, but the Democrats will focus on the election. And no matter how good our campaign, we could end up losing the state pretty much the way they've operated on this round. What's your sense about how vulnerable we are to a repeat of various ballot problems, et cetera, when we get to the runoff in January? I'm concerned about it. If there's the same large percentage of absentee ballots again, you know, to where we have a third of the votes being counted, not having been identified at least to the same level as people who vote in person, I think that's a threat to the integrity of the election. The truth of the matter is that this sloppiness and these errors happen in every single election, and they're ignored because the elections are not really ever close. And for the longest time in Georgia, the Democrats dominated things for most of the last 18 years. The Republicans have dominated things. But we're about to enter a period of time here in Georgia where every election will be close. And if we don't secure it, it may be difficult for us to ever to win any. I think that's right. And that's why I'm very concerned in this very short timeline this fall with figuring out whatever we can do to have an honest, clear count and an honest election. Because it does seem to me that that threatens both Senator Perdue and Senator Loeffler, that they could run a great campaign, but it wouldn't matter because the votes would somehow magically show up. Isn't it also true, by the way, that people who are going to move into the state just long enough to vote, isn't that actually illegal? In order to register in the state, you have to be a resident, so you have to intend to live here permanently. I wrote a five-page letter to Raffensperger, packed full of examples of various left-wing figures throughout the country encouraging people to vacation in Georgia or move here temporarily to register and vote in the election, which is plainly illegal. Now, to their credit, the Attorney General and the Secretary of State both made clear that was a felony that would be investigated, and I think that has largely shut down that effort. That's great. Well, listen, I appreciate very much your leadership in a very challenging in a very difficult period. And I just want to encourage you, these next couple of months are literally vital to the future of the country. And those two Senate seats are that important, I think. So thank you as a citizen for all you're doing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate all you do as well and appreciate the opportunity to be with you today on this podcast. A lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lindsay Rudder was a candidate for state representative for Georgia House District 54. So we're going to deal, first of all, with how is Georgia turning blue, or is it turning blue? Stacey Abrams served for 11 years in the Georgia House representatives, seven as the Democratic leader. And in 2018, Stacey became the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. After losing the race to now Governor Brian Kemp, Abrams formed a fair fight. Can you tell us, Lindsay, how Stacey Abrams' organization, Fair Fight, has worked to transform the state of Georgia? Yes, Fair Fight Action started in around 2014, and at the time, it was very quietly put together. She was working kind of behind the scenes. Of course, now it's a organization that's probably known not just in Georgia, but nationally. And what she's really done successfully is, in my opinion, has several arms to Fair Fight Action. First and foremost, it's really been a nonprofit legal arm focused on challenging any type of what she alleges to be voter restrictions, what some might call voter integrity laws. And she's challenging those throughout the state. And in addition to that, that she's widening the door to voting, she is second, a very strong grassroots movement. And as she's registering new voters, as she's finding new pockets of voters, those doors are opened wider for voters to come through. And then third, she's really trying to transform policy and different legislation around the voting acts in our state and then, of course, nationally as well. And you're seeing the results of that. And while 
It may not be the result that many Republicans are happy about today. She has done some very hard work, and she has, quite frankly, done it successfully. You're an attorney by training, and you've worked as a professional as an attorney. You're currently a deputy district attorney in Atlanta. You also ran for the Georgia House Representatives for District 54 in this election cycle. Given all that background, both legally and politically, what issues have you discovered with Georgia's voting rules? Well, first, what I would say as a candidate is you're traditionally focused on fundraising, beating your voters, spreading your message and getting your vote out and picking up new votes. What I think has been very telling from this election cycle is something that candidates have not traditionally had to focus on is now going to be something that should be key to every election. And that's really the fidelity and integrity of a voter list. That's something that candidates have just taken as the voter list. And now I think it's something that needs to be critically examined and needs to be looked at by every candidate. You can't just presume that it's an accurate list that's maintained in real time. And so that's been one of the biggest takeaways I have taken from this experience as a lawyer and with my background and as a candidate running at District 54, which is primarily Buckhead in Atlanta, Georgia, a very transient area of Georgia. As you see all that, have they actually been purging the rolls or do they just let people stay on them forever? The states are allowed to maintain their own voter rolls, of course. Nationally, there was a statute put in place in 1993 under former President Bill Clinton and a democratically controlled Congress. The code check section is 52 USCS. 20507, but it's more commonly known as the National Voter Registration Act, or NVRA for abbreviation. And essentially what it says, in addition to many other parts, is that in any election cycle that has a federal candidate or a federal election on the ballot, there are restrictions on what a state can do in terms of purging or cleaning their voter rolls. Georgia is absolutely free to determine who might be ineligible on a Georgia voter registration list due to moving out of state or out of the area. However, they're not allowed upon identifying that to immediately purge anyone. They have to send notice to those potentially ineligible voters via a postcard to the prior address in Georgia. Presumably, that voter doesn't live in Georgia anymore and won't respond. Lack of a response is still not enough to purge them according to this federal law. You have to wait two federal election cycles thereafter to be able to remove them, which at its shortest term would be four years. Atlanta, where I was running a bucket, it's a very transient area. People move in and out every year for work. Within four years, you're going to have a lot of people on that list that no longer live here. But unfortunately, the states are restrained by this federal code section that prevents them from purging. So in a sense, that requires changing federal law. It would. It's a system that clearly needs to be cleaned up. Absolutely. And I think one thing that is very concerning to me is Speaker Nancy Pelosi has stated that if they maintain both chambers of Congress, House Bill 1 will be one of the first bills that she introduces, which amongst many progressive provisions in that, the most concerning to me is an outlaw on any cleaning or purging of voter rolls. And so if that were to pass, we would see what we're seeing now on tremendously larger scales. And that is going to undermine the integrity of any and every voting list. And so it's an extreme concern. You know, I 
can't speak to what the state list looks like, but I can tell you as a candidate and my smaller race within Fulton County, what my voter rolls looked like, because I did do analysis on those to get an image of what the current status of the voters on my list were. And it was very telling. When you went door to door, what did you learn from the reality versus the voters list that you had? As a candidate, canvassing is a large part of a local campaign, making voter contact. And so what myself and my team did is we went to the Secretary of State's office for Georgia and we downloaded the list of registered voters to determine which ones were registered to vote in Fulton County. And inside Fulton County, there are multiple districts. So we were just looking at my district within Fulton County, House District 54, and we selected the potential voters in that district. And then we picked a universe of voters who I wanted to introduce myself to and meet and set out on what they call a walkbook, a list of, you know, 50 different addresses in a neighborhood and probably interact with about 10,000 voters. We hit over, goodness, four or 5,000 doors. And so you just go door to door. Now, as I did that, what was very interesting to me, and I'll give you a few examples. At one point, I had a targeted voter. So it was a voter listed on the Secretary of State's webpage, let's just call him John Doe, and it stated his address was 123 Main Street, Apartment B. So I arrive at this address, and this is a very prestigious neighborhood in Buckhead, one of the more wealthier neighborhoods in the entire state. And I arrive at a residence that's a, quite frankly, a mansion, a single family home. There is no apartment. It's not a duplex. There are not two mailboxes. There is no one residing in an apartment at that location. And there are anomalies like that that just continue to repeat themselves. Another one would be you would see on the voter registration roll that you were going to another house, let's call it 456 Main Street, and there are two sets of families residing in that home. And so you have two families with different last names with ages that appear to be two sets of parents and children. And that was very odd to me. And so I questioned is this? The prior owners of this home that just have not been updated in the voter files or is this fraud where someone's registered other people at this home? Why is this so? Because these are not neighborhoods that would make sense to have two families residing in. I think one of the third and final anomalies is you would have an address. We'll call this one 678 Main Street. You get to it. There's no home. It's a field, it's a home's been torn down, and you have a family registered at that address or a person at that address. Now, could it be that that was the former owner? They sold the home to someone else who's knocked down the home and rebuilding? Maybe. But it was these anomalies that started to really concern me. And around that same time, separate from canvassing, I received a jury summons to my home address, my personal address and the name of an individual who's never resided in stress who I do not know. And that was very concerning to me because I suspected that someone had either registered to vote or registered to drive in my address. And that is how you would end up on a jury list in Fulton County. You either register to drive or register to vote at an address within a county. And that's how you would end up on a jury list. But it was very concerning to me seeing all these and adding these pieces up And I would add last that I took a list of voters who have been apartment complexes that due to COVID, I was unable to enter the premises of their apartment or condo buildings to knock on their door. So I started to call them. 
And I would say on a list of about 100, maybe only 10 would actually answer. You'd have a low return rate. And many of the other numbers, about 90%, go to numbers that have been disconnected, phone numbers that do not have voicemails or personalized messages that have been set up. And it became very concerning to me that either these people were temporarily here and no longer here and seemed to have data in the voter files that were outdated. On October 30th, as a candidate, you pulled the early voting results. I didn't know you could do that, actually. What does that mean? Since we had early voting for three weeks in Georgia and the majority of the votes being cast, either early vote or an absentee, many of the votes had already been sent to the Georgia Secretary of State's office by October 30th, the eve of the November 3rd election. And those were uploaded into the Secretary of State's webpage. So you could download the list of people who have already voted in your race. And so as of Friday morning, the last day of early voting before the general election, there were roughly 38,000 people who were uploaded as already voting in my district, House District 54. And based on my background litigating jury issues that somewhat derive from our voter files, seeing on the ground the anomalies that I pointed out, making phone calls to newly registered voters I really started to consider the integrity of the 38,000 people that had already voted in my race. And I decided, although it was the eve of the election, I hired a statistician, an expert who's who's done this many times, who specializes in this. If he would take the 38,000 voters who had already voted in my race, so it wouldn't be all the votes cast, but the ones cast so far, and would he do analysis of who these voters are, where they actually reside? And there's a process that's accepted legally in court. And essentially what you do is you take the set of voters and you cross-reference that with what's called the National Change of Address Database. That is a database maintained by the United States Postal Service. And if, for example, one of your viewers were to move from House A to House B and they want their mail forwarded, they would do a change of address with the Postal Service. And the Postal Service will note that change of address and put the new address in the National Change of Address database. And roughly about 30% of the country, it's really 27%, actually ever do that. But it will give you an image of where people are actually residing. So the first thing we did was take my 38,000 voters and we ran it against the National Change of Address database to see how many of my voters, the 38,000, recently in the last year, some 30 days, some 60 days, 90 days, done a national change of address indicate that they do not live in my county or the state of Georgia. But due to the fact that, as I mentioned, only 30% of the country actually does this, there are other databases you can use to determine where someone resides. Those are databases and vendors that maintain where someone pays their utilities, where someone has their magazines come, because while they may not tell the post office that they're moving, they're going to tell the Wall Street Journal, they're going to tell their magazine subscriptions, they're going to tell their utility companies, they're going to make sure they have their homestead exemption in a specific state where they're actually residing. You can run the list against those. And we did that. And the combination of the two searches was quite telling. In my race, we had 1,582 voters who had a change of address or started to pay their utilities in a zip code that was outside of my district. So they may have lived in Fulton County, but not within my district. So going a step further, we found that there was 1,079 voters 
with a new zip code outside of Fulton County. Their zip code did not place them within the county. Maybe they were in a surrounding metro county. And then most telling to what's happening on a national scale, we found that there were 646 voters with a zip code placing them outside the state of Georgia. It was not a Georgia zip code. So given all your experiences and the fact you've been both a candidate and an attorney, what can people do as Georgians to protect the vote? I would recommend that if you're aware of any voter fraud, you can go to the Georgia Secretary of State's webpage, and they have a voter fraud link, and you can report it. And I think being you know very cognizant, diligent, and respectful of the voting booth is crucial, and we all have to remember that the right to vote is one of our most fundamental aspects that makes us American. I agree with you. And I should say, for anybody who's listening, if they have knowledge of voter fraud, please report it at gingrich360.com slash honest elections. That's gingrich360.com slash honest elections. I want to thank you for how knowledgeable you are and for the courage you've shown to run. And I hope that you will stay active in the political system and help us not only clean up this mess, but solve the many challenges that Americans are faced with. And I really do appreciate very much, Lindsay, your willingness to come on and to talk about your experiences. Well, thank you so much. It was a tremendous honor to get to speak with you. And thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to do. I'm going to stay involved. I'm very passionate about this and digging deeper in to our voter issues and making sure we have lists that the fidelity and integrity of them are maintained. Thank you to my guests, David Schaefer and Lindsay Rudder. You can read more about the Georgia presidential election and the U.S. Senate runoff elections on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Pendley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your questions at gingrich360.com slash questions. I'll answer a selection of questions in future episodes. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.